RFM. A little later on today, we will be talking with Mandy Barton about aged care and Centrelink. We were going to have Dr Michael Seymour along on franking credits, but he's unable to be with us today. We're going to also have our market update and Stephen Pritchard. We're going to start off with currencies and commodities and uh, how are they travelling at the moment? Um, the, the currencies and commodities went in opposite directions. So that's, that's <laughs> one up, one, one down. One up, one down. Which is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gold, the gold price was up $46.25 an ounce for the week to $1,873.62 an ounce. Um, the nickel price was up $46.72 a tonne to $17,153.76 a tonne. And the oil price was up $2.46 a barrel to $102.31. And the currencies mostly went the opposite way. The they a, went down. The A dollar the A dollar was back below the 70 cents at 60 69.3 US cents to the A dollar. So if We've fallen again. Um, the great is that British... something to do with what's happening in America, maybe, as opposed well, to what's happening here? Or I think it'd be more driven by America than what's happening here. To be yeah, honest, okay. yeah, there's nothing much happening here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think the election affects too much. Um, the Great British Pound, um, we're up against that. It, 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 it for uh, we're up point two two pence to fifty three point nine five pence, mm-hmm. and the New Zealand dollar, we were we're down against that to. To a dollar five point five seven US New Zealand dollars, and against the euro, we were sixty one point eight four euro cents. Um, the the markets generally we were we were a bit of red here. The ordinary all ordinaries was down six point four six point four points to six thousand three hundred and seventy. The S and P five hundred was down nineteen point eight points to three thousand eight hundred fifty, and the UK market um, was up eighty nine point five points to seven thousand two hundred ninety six. So what uh, Donald Trump is doing with the uh, tariffs on auto imports from Europe, whether he is or not introducing them is that going to make a difference to the markets there oh is this going to is he going to europe too now well that was one of the things i thought i saw (coughs) i I don't know it changes by the day um and there's plenty of arguing and barging with china as well at the moment yeah i mean judging by the judging by the movement i mean you're talking 90 points is is, is 0.6 of a percent i mean so nothing i I don't think it's had any effect there you know you're 0.6 of a percent you know that's days you know yes a few big investors buying or selling um yeah i don't think there's any trend there um Okay. So he's he's going to put tariffs on. Um, I I do notice though that the the, the same cars in the US from Europe, um, compared to here, they're a lot more expensive here than they are in the US. Okay. Uh, like fifty percent. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is a lot. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean the, the luxury car tax he cuts in, and you know, the luxury car tax was bought in to protect the local manufacturing of LTD and Statesman's. Well, we don't have any of those, but we anymore. So but there's nothing to protect. To so we've still mm. got the luxury car tax, and the luxury car tax is actually getting applied to, is applied to things like Toyota work vans and things. So, okay. so yeah, you mm. know, it's. Mm. It kind of hasn't kept up with what you'd call a luxury car anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, in so, the meantime... Uh, in the meantime, uh, so what's local investors doing? Well, if you've got some BHP shares, you, you, you're, uh, 
You're up 22 cents on the week to $37.20. Uh, you got some CBA shares. You're down $2.63 to $72.54. Is further um, write-offs are necessary. Um, NIB is $5.80, which is down nine cents. And Telstra is up eight cents to $3.46. So that's mm-hmm. that's going okay. Mm-hmm. And the fuel price, Newcastle was up $3.20 to $1.54 a litre. So you should have fueled up last week. And Sydney was down $4.00. And uh, four point one cents to it's a dollar forty, so there's a dollar forty cents a litre. So there's you know fourteen cents difference, which is a big difference, ten mm-hmm. percent. And these are the average prices. As um, yeah, they come off the they come off the RMA website. Yes. So if you think they're wrong, ring the RMA, <laughs> not me. <laughs> you can blame the RMA for that. Um, and uh, the diesel price was a dollar forty one point seven in Newcastle and a dollar. 48.6 in Sydney, so, mm. so they're not much change in the diesel price. To NURFM 24 past 12, Thursday finance and time for our market update. Stephen Pritchard, drinks, soft drinks. Mm. Well, I had a bit of a laugh when I read this today. I mean, Alison Watkins, the CEO of Coca-Cola, has announced that they that they plan to go beverage sales by 10%. 10% this year for the first time in four years um, and, um, you know, as an attempt to be re- rebuild relationship with small outlets and convenience stores. So what they're proposing to do is to put um, people back on the ground and go around and take their orders from the small shops and the convenience stores um, instead of... Um, getting them to order online. Well, recently I had a go at Cake Coles on my website myself for a client and it's atrocious. It? So I can understand why, why why they don't use it. And I think yeah, I think this is a lost cause. I mean, the, the small the small food outlets and convenience stores. One of the big problems, one of the big complaints they've got about Coca Cola, is they can go down to Coles and Woolworths and buy the stuff for their shop cheaper than Coca-Cola is selling it to them. So I don't know how they're going to be able to rebuild trust and relationships and they fix their pricing policy. Mm, so so I, I, I suspect I suspect this, this 10% target won't be met again and yeah. it'll be, of course, she's called it another year of transition for the fourth year. Okay. So, so mm. um, we'll have the fourth year of transition and I suspect the sales won't go up if that's what they're relying Maybe on. Maybe the message will get through and they'll uh, um, change or, things soon. Well, you know, it's ridiculous, the price. Pricing structure. Mm. Okay, uh, moving to paint. Paint. Well, paint. That was interesting. Dulux came out with a half year result this week. Um, yeah, the profit fell because Dulux is in the process of being taken over by that Japanese company. Um, so it's probably the last half year result. But anyhow, um, so the pro- the first half profit fell by thirteen point nine percent. They're still going to increase the dividend by one cent to fifteen cents. Mm-hmm. And they made an interesting comment on the election. Um, they don't expect that whoever gets elected is going to affect their business. Their core business is um, uh, renovations and maintenance market, which which kind of goes on. Um, people are always renovating their house and painting their house as distinct from the new um, constructions. So, so, um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Dulux doesn't think that uh, the election is going to affect them. Yeah, yeah, affecting them, which is interesting. Okay, moving to uh, airlines and Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia has decided to sell their frequent flyer program. A few years back, there was talk that Qantas was going to sell their. Uh, Qantas frequent flyer points and the frequent flyer business was actually worth more than the airline. Um, and now, and then there was t- when Coles floated off 
itself. Um, West Farmers retained a great slave of Coles frequent flyer business or frequent what's this flybys mm-hmm. the Coles flyby business. Mm-hmm. And our Virgin Australia is proposing to sell some of their frequent flyer programs. So obviously these frequent flyer programs have taken on a, a value. For themselves, I mean, Virgin Australia. I don't think it's as popular as the Qantas one, but but you go to you now go to BP and you get um, Virgin Australia points. So they they're obviously selling these points for some value, and I assume they hope a lot of people don't redeem them, which is probably the case. I'm sure that would and, be the uh, case. You uh, need yeah, to be so, on it, but so, then some people would do very well with that, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got quite a few, and I never get around to using them. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, well, Qantas ones. Um, so anyhow, it'll be interesting to see what this comes. If they do do float this, I'll be interesting to see what the value it is. Yeah, will um, be. And, uh, well, we've got to talk about a bank, haven't we? Ah, well, the usual bank. Or, the current, or which bank is that? The yeah, front, which is, bank? Is, is it which bank? <laughs> yeah, CBA. CBA has announced another, which is probably why the share price fell. They've got to put aside another... Seven hundred million for customer compensation, um, which is going to bring the total bill at this stage to two point one seven billion. So this is basically uh, to compensate people for it that CBA is um, giving incorrect advice to, uh, charge fees for advice when they haven't provided advice, and sell them the wrong financial products. I mean. Really, I mean, we're up to 2.17 billion. You have to ask what the board was sitting there doing. I mean, the board should have been asking questions about this. I mean, a million Do you think boards... that's actually led to boards feeling a little bit more responsible about what's going on in the company? That the board should have always been responsible. Well, the they board. should have, but do you yeah. think they will be in the future? Uh, I think the chairman at CBA is is the type of chairman that will make sure she knows what's going on. Okay. Mm. Um, and I think you got the same problems. I mean, the NABs, the NABs, although I think the new chairman at the NAB um, is capable as well. But one of the things, one of the problems you've got is, is people applying these independent standards to to boards and you end up, and the two classic examples we've had recently is we've had AMP where you've got the board meets all the independence tests and Woolworths met all the independence tests, but at Woolworths you had no one who knew anything about retailing, but they're all independent directors and ticked all the... Co- and AMP, no one knew anything about the, their core financial business. So, you know, there's this issue about independence and someone actually got up at the AMP meeting and general meeting when they had all the problems last year and said, well, do we put independence before or above competence? And, you know, I think when you put independence above competence and experience we've seen the results and i think you know it's all very well stacking your board with independent directors like cba days if if the independent directors don't know the right questions to ask the management that's where you end up that certainly is uh yes you do need to know a little bit about in-depth type knowledge of in-depth what's type knowledge on. you know and yes. and you need to actually go into the i would have thought you need to go into the branches or the supermarkets and go to the competitors if i was a one of the all these companies and see what they're doing and I, I don't think half the directors do this is Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard our uh, our market update now Who's getting a surprise dividend? 
Well, the shareholders of Fortescue Metals Group, they came out this week and announced a, 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 an additional interim dividend, I suppose what you'd call it, a surprise dividend of $654 million, and that's going to be payable before the 30th of June. So that will be an extra bonus you'll have in your bank account before the 30th of June if you're a Fortescue Metals shareholder. Mm. Now, consumer confidence, I was reading, reading is, is actually on the way up. Oh, I thought that was on the way down. But someone well, was telling me. Someone was telling me up. it was down the way down this morning. So, so, <laughs> there you go. so anyhow, uh, I think it depends different. when you ask and who, where you ask and, and who you ask and where you are at the time. I'm I mean, sure you're right. I'm sure you would get a different answer <coughs> from a trader in the Hunter Street Mall than you would in um, the trader in the Pitt Street Mall. Very likely. Uh, and I'm sure you would get a different answer depending on the shop. Mm. So anyhow, um, anyhow, Coles, Coles has uh, decided that they're going to fast track convenience by adding, adding 75 new products. Now, I don't know actually how they're going to do this, but one of the new products they're going to add is smashed avocado and toast. So yeah. they're going to be adding that to their stores and they're going to do 75 new products and they're going to refurbish 100, supermar- 100 supermarkets in the in the next um six months to stock more ready-to-eat meals. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they're going to be selling this avocado on toast. It will. Won't it? You normally think that should be freshly prepared and combined rather than ready-prepared. Well, I could see see how the avocado could be ready-prepared if you put a bit of lemon juice in it. It's it's all right. But but I I can't understand how the toast's going to be... um, Crisp and ready to go. <laughs> no. Maybe it'll come in a separate package and you just have to pop it in a toaster. But then it won't be toasted, will it? Well, once you put it It'll be avocado and bread. <laughs> you think they're going to have a toaster at the checkout so you can taste it as you go through. Anyhow, we'll see about that in the next six months. Hopefully there'll be one round here so we can all go in and... Mm, try. Yeah, we, try might, we might ring up Coles and see if we can have an avocado and toast morning for listeners. <laughs> um, anyhow, back to seriousness. Now, this is interesting. There's been this big push to outsourcing over the couple, last couple of years, and it's all gone to cloud, and we're going to outsource all these things. To So NAB's discovered that you know it's not actually as efficient to outsource. The end results aren't nearly as good. Now, all this is a surprise, and you know, a big surprise. And so what they're going to do is they're going to start to shut down their house sourcing arrange- outsourcing arrangement and bring thousands of jobs back internally to work at the bank. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I've always thought that this outsourcing, I mean, you know, you know, particularly, you know, stuff's getting sent across to various other jurisdictions. It comes back, it's wrong. It goes back two or three times to get fixed. I've never understood how how it's more efficient. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, NABS, NABS, uh, this might be the thin edge of the wedge. NABS has decided that the outsourcing doesn't work and they're going to bring it and they're talking about thousands of new jobs. Mm, that will be an interesting, interesting thing to see if the trend continues to yeah. other other companies. And it's the same as cloud. There, you know, there's talk about this cloud. I mean, one of the big issues with cloud, yes, it does it does provide some efficiencies. But if you if you haven't got a, a a reliable and relatively high speed broadband connection, cloud just doesn't work. Mm. Mm. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and I dare say the security implications are slightly more. Uh, complex with a cloud arrangement. Uh, and you, you, you don't even have to get that far out. I mean, we've got clients at Musselbrook 
Yes. And their internet connection won't even support email, so you, there's no there's no chance using cloud applications. Mm, mm. It's Thursday finance, and about time we took a look at uh, aged care and Centrelink with Mandy Barton from Centrelink. Well, uh, well, aged care is quite a, a, high, a hot topic for one of a bit of a terminology at the moment with the with the Royal Commission uh, investigation going on, and uh, I understand Centrelink's running some kind of trial that you're involved in. Mandy? Yeah, that's right, Stephen. Um, the, the, the trial that's currently underway is an aged care system navigator trial. So it's all about helping people access aged care services. So it's been running uh, locally since just before Christmas time, and we, we've got a 12-month trial here in the Newcastle-Hunter region. Basically what the trial's about, it's in, in relation to the legislative review of aged care and recommendations um, that came out of that. So we've got six full-time staff across the department Financial Information Service officers who are currently in place to complement the existing Financial Information Service um, to give additional support support to people with complex financial decisions they need to make when entering aged care. So it's all about you know providing that holistic service to help people understand. What is it going to cost to go into aged care? What are my options? What are the sorts of things that I need to consider? And how are all these decisions that I need to make ultimately going to impact not only the cost of aged care, but the rate of the pension the person might receive, um, you know, taxation? There's lots of different issues that need to be considered um, with a move to residential care. And it can uh, 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 it can be quite complex, especially those different components. So, so... If someone wants um, some help from this, how, how do they contact you? Well, the first point of contact for aged care overall is um, the My Aged Care website. So that's a government website. That's the first point of contact for, for anyone looking at aged care, whether mm-hmm. it be home care services or residential care. So they can simply look at that website online. It's uh, www.myagedcare.gov.au. Uh, there is a phone contact available with My Age Care, which is a 1800 number that operates Monday to Friday from 8am to 8pm and Saturdays as well from 10 till 2. Um, and people can contact that number. It's 1800 200 422 for any basic questions about aged care. Um, oh, not, not only basic, they can provide you lots of information around aged care. But if you're wanting that service where you actually come in and sit and have a chat with someone completely free of charge, um, they need to contact Centrelink, the Department of Human Services, um, and call us on our seniors line, which is 132300, and ask to move through to that financial information service because it's our, it's our financial information service officers who have that knowledge around aged care costs. And so when you ring this number, they, they, they're going to make an appointment with you to come in, are they? I mean, if it's a quick question, so when you ring Centrelink, if it's just a quick question, you've got a pretty good grasp of the system because mm-hmm. you've done your research on my aged care and you sort of want to just ask a few quick questions. The financial information service officers on the phone might be able to help you out with a couple of quick questions. But certainly if you want to have that full service where you come in and sit down and um, certainly if you want to be involved in my trial um, within the Newcastle area, uh, you do need to ask them to make an appointment um, and um, we'll sit down with the customer or their family member generally it is. Yeah and go through those different scenarios. And it's quite important to make an appointment. You can't just wander in because the appointments are not out of quite sort, so they've all got to be scheduled in. So. Absolutely. 
absolutely, yeah. I like can't the, just wander in and expect to get served straight away. No, not immediately. So, no, it does need to be a booked appointment at the offices. Okay. So, so, so we're seeing someone moves into residential care. Uh, how do you actually work out how much it's going to cost? I mean, there seems to be at least three fees from what I understand, the accommodation fee and the, the daily fee and the bond fee. And um, perhaps you could explain some of that. Yeah, well, I mean, that word you've used then, uh, bond, Stephen, that's, a, that's an old word, um, effectively, in the aged care system. Accommodation bonds finished back in 2014. Um, so nowadays, um, what we do... Yes, that's right. Refundable accommodation deposits, or RADs they're called now. Um, what we do to determine what a person needs to pay for residential care, most people will complete a, a form, um, and it's a combined means test assessment form. So the information we gather in that form will basically determine um, what category a person falls under, I guess you'd say, in terms of the costs of entering care. So do they have to pay an accommodation cost. So there's three categories people fall under, uh, fully supported, partially supported and not supported. And the first category of people who are fully supported, they're in a financial position whereby they're actually not required to pay an accommodation payment. So their accommodation is in fact fully subsidised. The second category of people, the partially supported people need to make a contribution toward their accommodation costs. And that third category of people who are not supported are required to fully pay their accommodation costs, and that's the category of those RADs, those refundable accommodation deposits. Mm -hmm. So the person's income and assets are what are looked at to determine what, which of those three categories they fall under, and then, you know, is there an accommodation payment payable, which one? And then ultimately that accommodation payment, if the person falls into that not supported category where they're required to pay a RAD, that RAD is, is set by the facility. So it's a matter of the, the consumer or their family members visiting facilities, having a look around at what's available and comparing the costs of entry um, for those people in that not supported category. So the, these RADs can, can vary. I mean, I know there's... There, there's um refundable accommodation deposits, Jane. Um, they, they can vary quite extensively. I know they, there seems to be an average around Newcastle about somewhere around the 350 to 4, but I also know there's other places that are charging 750000 yeah, yeah. Within Newcastle, I mean, I'm I'm not au fait with every single yeah. facility's rad, but in my experience, they range between around one ninety five ish, I think, in Newcastle, up to about eight hundred actually, um, across different facilities around Newcastle. But the average is probably more around that four hundred thousand dollar mark. Um, but it is quite varied. You know, it's a matter of people using that My Aged Care website. On the My Aged Care website, um, government funded facilities in Australia are required by law to publish their max maximum prices for people in that not supported category. So people can log onto that website, search for an aged care home and look at each facility and look at what their maximum published prices are to sort of give them an idea of is this facility sort of within my price range, I guess. Um, Thursday Finance and uh, we're looking at Centrelink and aged care and Stephen Pritchard, we're talking with Mandy Barton from Centrelink. So just before we move on off the refundable accommodation deposits, um, so the difference between the hundred and ninety and the eight hundred thousand is that reflected in the the facilities that are supplied to the residents? No, no, it's it's. 
I mean, it can be, I guess, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all relative in terms of, you know, is it a shared room, is it a private room, um, the size of the room. So, you know, it, it's not... I guess it's difficult to sort of compare apples with oranges, you know. So it's really just a matter of residents and family members, more importantly, um, going and, and taking their family members out to visit and just get a feel for the facility. Do they like how it feels? You know, is, is it something that they're looking to move into as their home? Okay. So how how do people get this lump sum to... I mean, this is a lot of money to most people. So how do they actually find this lump sum to, to pay into that? to the aged care provider. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, there's been a means test assessment done to determine if a person falls into those categories. So if a person is in that not supported category, it means their their income and assets are at a certain point um, that would, you know, allow them to afford this type of facility. And a person doesn't always have to pay a lump sum. It's entirely up to the person as to whether they wish to pay the money as a lump sum or they can pay it as what they call a daily accommodation payment, which is, I mean, if you look at it simply, it's like either effectively, you know, buying the room with an interest-free loan, if you like, or paying a rental-style payment on the room. So you get to choose if you pay the lump sum or if you pay the daily amount, and you can certainly do a combination of both. So for many people, um, they may have some assets there that they can liquidate, so cash, term deposits, shares, etc., which they can liquidate um, to pay money toward those lump sums, um, or they may have a strong income flow and prefer to pay the payment as a daily amount. So they may you know, be a um, having a pension payable, like a defined benefit pension or something, for example, payable, and that money they can choose then to pay it as a daily amount. Um, ultimately, for some people, they may make a decision to sell the home, but certainly for people who are members of a couple, I really want to stress that if you are a member of a couple um, and the remaining partner is still living in the family home, that family home is not included in the assessment to determine the costs of care. So there is no requirement for for a person to sell their family home to enter aged care if there is a partner still residing in there because that home has not been included to, to make that assessment. Okay, so so once you move into an aged care facility, do you, is there anything you need to tell Centrelink or do they... Yeah, well, you need to let us know that you've moved, first of all. There's a change of address that's occurred. So keeping Centrelink up to date with your situation. So notify the change of address. And very importantly, notify any change in your financial situation. So if you have drawn down on assets to pay some money toward an accommodation payment, um, if, you know, if down the track it might be you've been living in aged care for a while and you may have made the decision to sell the home, you've been a, you know, a single person or a widow that's moved into care and you've sold that home to pay that lump some payment. Those sorts of changes need to be notified to Centrelink as they occur. So very important to keep us up to date with the changes. Okay. And then one of the things that that older people worry about is what happens if they actually run out of money? Yeah, I mean, it's a valid question. A lot of people ask that question when they come and have a chat to us about aged care. What happens if I can't afford to pay my fees? Um, Ultimately, if a person's receiving a pension, it's not it's not all the time that that pension will cover the cost of their outgoings. The reality is their income and assets are used to determine the costs as well. So we've talked primarily today about the accommodation payments, but there are daily fees that are payable. There's a basic fee and potentially a means-tested fee. And for some facilities, there's extra service or additional service fees as well. So if the person's in a negative cash flow position, uh, there are hardship provisions that apply within the aged care rules. So if the person has run out, of 
you know, assets that um, they can draw upon to pay their aged care costs. They may be eligible to apply for hardship to get some further assistance with their aged care costs. Um, but it is very important to note that under those hardship provisions, any lump sum payment that's been paid toward their care costs is included as an asset for hardship. So if, for example, someone has paid their refundable accommodation deposit and say the facility's holding, you know, $400,000 there, um, that money is still considered part of their assets. So they wouldn't be eligible for hardship. There would be an expectation that that money is drawn upon to assist in paying their aged care costs before hardship would be... um, you know, accepted. Okay, so so for example, if they've they've moved in there and they've got an investment property, but they're short of liquid assets, um, they'd be expected to sell the investment property before they could get hardship. Or potentially, you know, get the return on that investment property and that rental income yep. could be paying their accommodation as a daily payment. So okay. there's, there's so many different scenarios that people need to explore in relation to aged care. Um, you know, it's like it's like any financial decision you make. People have been through it and they'll explain things to you and they'll give you their take on it. But everyone's situation's different and it's really important that people get the right information so that they make decisions that are suitable for them. You know, don't just listen to what your friends have said because that's what they've been through. The the rules relating to aged care change quite regularly Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to know the rules that are relevant to your situation because people that are in aged care may be in based on previous rules under which they remain. So new people, new rules, old people, old rules potentially, you know, depending on dates of entry. And can you elect to go under the new rules if they're more favourable? You can't just elect, no, no, you can't just elect to go under the new rules. So you could, you may change facilities, for example, you may ask for an upgrade in your room, in which case you could move into the new rules. But no, it's not just something you can say, hey, I just want to be under the new rules now. Okay, thanks for that, Mandy. Interesting as always. That's all right, no worries. Thank you, Mandy Barton from Centrelink. Uh, and that's Thursday Finance for today on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.